So welcome back to episode six of the Cineworld Staff podcast. Congratulations if you're still with us. If you are still managing to listen to me and Tris every week, congratulations. Uh, we really appreciate it and hope that we're helping in some shape or form. A couple of big bits of news before uh, we talk to Tris. Uh, first is that the government uh, obviously have announced that uh, 4th of July seems to be the date that we're looking at for opening of cinemas uh, and, and steam is kind of building up towards that. And hopefully uh, once the uh, government announce uh, the, the terms of that opening in terms of, you know, capacities and percentages of people that we can have in a building, you know, hopefully that that um, starts becoming a brighter light towards where we can aim for. And, you know, the, the tunnel doesn't become so long, which is a great bit of news. So, Fingers crossed that that we still kind of are aiming towards that. Um, And the other big bit of news is, of course, tomorrow night, uh, depending on the course when you are listening to this, uh, Friday, the 29th of May at 7 p.m., Tristan and I will be hosting the Cineworld Staff Quiz Night. Yay! uh, Very exciting news, honestly, very exciting. Have you finished writing your uh, questions yet? Finished? Oh, um, sure. Uh, I will finish as, just as soon as I start. Yeah, brilliant. Yeah, no, brilliant. no, no. We've, 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 we've. Um, is it? We're doing three rounds each, if I remember correctly. Um, yep. And you've given me rounds one, three, and five, and they're going to be themed. And uh, yes, I've, I've got a couple of questions that I'm tweaking because this week I'm also doing the quiz for the film team. So I've been writing them concurrently and trying not to overlap or repeat any kind of questions because maybe some of the film team will join us tomorrow night as well which would be really great so i can't have them with prior knowledge from another quiz that they only did 24 hours before so it's a a fair point but i think it's safe to say that aziz won't be joining us uh considering that he keeps scoring uh bottom every time we do the film quiz so yeah and daisy might still be asleep because she doesn't wake up till silly o'clock on most days so yeah okay fair enough or she'll be explaining the uh dirty rotten scoundrels uh quotes that i still don't understand but we'll we'll see where it goes tris who knows okay all right well that's quite interesting because uh dirty rotten scoundrels of course is one of the films uh that has been recommended to you recently um uh, John Perry, of course, had it on his uh, Desert Island Films last week. So um, I guess I'm going to throw it out to you for for you to talk about your week in terms of what you've been watching, Stu, first, because um, I'm, I'm dying to know what you thought of Dirty Rotten Scoundrels, but also what other films have you been watching this week? What, what have you been up to? Uh, really sorry, Trish, you, you cut out for the last 20 seconds, so I'm just going to ignore that. Um, so basically, if you want to join the quiz tomorrow night, feel free to. You know what the code is. If you don't know what the uh, code, uh, the password is, uh, please do just drop us an email, obviously before seven o'clock on Friday, the 29th of May, uh, and we'll email you back almost instantaneously uh, with the uh, details. But we look forward to seeing as many of you as possible. Did I so, really drop out? Have we got to re-record that now? No, I was just joking, Trist. I just oh, didn't want to answer. I, I just think didn't I want know to... where this was going. I just didn't want to answer the question about Dirty Run Scoundrels because now I feel bad. He's um, not watched it. He hasn't watched it. Listen, I've watched two films this week. Okay. I've been very, I've been very busy speaking with distribution, uh, organising what films we're going to have when we get to reopening. So, okay, I've been a very busy boy, <laughs> and I've definitely played at least three rounds of golf. So, look, there isn't always the time, Trist. You know, you've got to see that. But I have watched two and a half films. The first film that I watched this week, the first one was John Carter. Um, I think it was originally based on the book called John Carter from Mars. Mm -hmm. Um, Look, I really like this film. 
I, I've seen it before. I think I went to the premiere um, with you, actually, and originally watched it back in 2012, um, reliably informed by yourself. Um, yes. The only thing I can really remember about the premiere was that you got really annoyed with Gok Wan, who was <laughs> sat behind us because yeah. he kept talking the whole way through it, and it just kept annoying you a lot. And what, I remember you, in, you had a wasn't... very big outburst uh, when we got back in the office the, the day after. That's my memory of, of that night. I yeah, think, I, kept so. my, I kept my outburst for the next day. It wasn't so much during the film, it was just beforehand. He was being extraordinarily loud, which I know is ironic for me to say that because I'm known as kind of a loud character myself, especially when I get going. But um, yeah, he was, it, was, it was the stuff that he was saying. He was kind of talking himself up and just he just felt like a celebrity showing off in a public forum. I think that was what was grating on me. It's like, yes, we get who you are. Now shut up. Uh, but I think when the film started, he kind of quieted down and just enjoyed it with the rest of us. But thank you I for bringing I... that little nugget back. I'd forgotten all about that. Well, whilst we're on the subject of premieres, um, oh, no. do, do you recall the premiere of 300 uh, where you were sat down watching 300? Yeah. Uh, there were a couple of people sat behind you making probably a little bit too much noise during the film. And then you picked the opportune moment of when a really quiet bit came on the screen and then decided to shout backwards. Remind me again what you shouted by trying to make this as PC as possible. Yeah, yeah. OK, thank Oh, crack it. I, that's something else I've forgotten about. Yeah, the... Look, for those of you who've seen 300, there are, you know, there's a lot of action. There's a lot of loud noises going on in that film. And somehow this couple, uh, middle-aged couple, managed to talk over it. You could actually hear them discussing things during the action sequences. And it wasn't just me. There was people sat around me who were, like, doing the old turn around, look at them kind of thing. But they didn't have the gumption to say anything. So, yes, that my timing is always in these things is impeccable because um, they annoyed me so much that I swung around and, as the film dropped into one of Schneider's slow-mo quiet moments, I yelled at the top of my voice, will you shut the F up, please? Um, but a lot angry and a lot louder than that. And the two of them just kind of were, were like deers in the headlights. They, they immediately shut up and looked at me and they were like, oh. And then the rest of the film continued. But I swear to God, 20, 30 minutes of silence from them, great. And then towards the end of the film, they started chatting again. And they actually confronted me at the end of the film saying, how dare you talk to us that way? We weren't talking. It's like, really, why are you now trying to defend something you apparently didn't do? Just don't do it. And then I had a quite a lengthy discussion with them about, do you know how annoying it is when people talk in cinemas? And I'm sure there's a lot of the cine family out there who might be nodding in agreement with me saying, oh, you know what? That is one of our biggest bugbears and what other customers complain about. When... Talk, talking, talking and phones on. Uh, oh, yeah, God. yeah, exactly. It drives yeah. me crazy. Um, but it's weird that you don't get invited to that many premieres these days. I do. It's strange. <laughs> really, really weird. I don't know how that happened. I, but... I, I do believe that because of the, some, some of the people who were there that night, I that fired around the industry very, very fast. And I think it was after that that I got nicknamed the Hulk. And people mentioned that to me at quite a few times. Um, some people thought it was a good thing. Other people's not so much. Um, hey, I'll let you be decide. Would would you turn around and tell someone to shut up who were really annoying you in a, a cinema auditorium? Maybe you would. Maybe you wouldn't. Um, I've got. I, I definitely, I definitely would. I've, yeah, um, I've got no convention because you know. <clears throat> that's where that that's where that famous line comes uh, from the Avengers, where he says, "That's the trick." I'm always angry. <laughs> and that's you, Tris. That's what it is. So, um, so anyway, borrowed that from me. Yeah. <clears throat> so John Carter was the first one I watched. Second film I watched uh, was Jerry Maguire. Ooh, uh, rewatched it. Uh, but it was the wife's birthday, so she got to pick. Yeah. Um, and she hadn't seen Jerry Maguire before. 
so we rewatched that and I really like it. I like kind of uh, anything, any film around sports really, to be honest with you. And, you know, Cruz and Cuba Gooding Jr. are great in that film. Yeah. And it's just, it, it's a good rewatch. And I, yeah, I really, really liked it. So, uh, and what was the I watched half those film? Films. You said you watched two uh, and a half. Uh, just, just my luck. Do you remember the film? Oh, crikey, yeah. Um, Chris Pine, yeah. Lindsay Lohan, and uh, more importantly, McFly. Um, <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, I know. I have watched it. Like, I was kind of not paying attention and saw about an hour of it. But it was just on in the background when I was doing some calls. And uh, it's harmless enough. So, yeah, they were the two and a half films I kind of watched this week. I've just started watching... Um, the Michael Jordan documentary, The Last Dance, because everyone keeps pestering me to watch it. Um, but other than that, yeah, like I said, golf and lots and lots of phone calls. So uh, that's me. Uh, how about yourself? I- I've listed two and a half films. You- yours must be pretty similar. I remember you were saying last week you were going to watch some Tarantino. Did you manage to get around to it? Uh, yes, actually, I did. In fact, that's been the bulk of my week. Although I must say I'm, I'm rather disappointed. Uh, severe lack of Dirty Rotten Scoundrels in your uh, f- uh, film, cinema and film you, viewing. You, you just... You just cut out again, mate. Sorry, I didn't hear you. Oh, no, really? Oh, we're going to have to work on this recording. Dirty, rotten scoundrels, you gong. Just, just, crack, just, crack, just crack on with your bit. It's all okay, good. Okay, fine. I've got to watch it before next week. John Perry will not be happy with you this week. Anyway, yes, so um, I decided after watching QT8, the documentary about Quentin Tarantino, a couple of weeks ago, uh, which I thoroughly enjoyed, it just kind of inspired me to go through his back catalogue, which is not that immense. He's only made nine films so far over uh, almost a 30-year period. But what a cracking lineup of films they are. Um, and so I started with Reservoir Dogs and got through to watching last night, uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, which was the film that uh, got released last year. Uh, and so I decided, although I already had this in my head of what my top three Tarantino films are, um, it was nice to watch them all again and reevaluate them. And there's some absolutely cracking films there. And I'd actually forgotten this as well, that, I know everyone bangs on about the the MCU, the Marvel Cinematic films are in the same universe, blah, blah, blah. But it's not a thing at all. Tarantino has been doing it since 92. All of his films take place within the same universe. So much so that characters interact, they're they're related, they mention other characters that have have taken place and events that have taken place in other films and as i watched through them i was like oh this is fantastic i'd I'd totally forgotten about this so um it was great and my top three um and and this is going to maybe i don't know if this is going to cause controversy because i'm sure um those of you out there who are tarantino fans you'll already have your top three and i I suppose some of the more famous films are going to be in there but for me personally uh my top three uh, at number three is inglorious bastards which uh is such a a a different take on world war ii uh it's the film that tarantino had been wanting to make for about 20 years and he finally got to make it and he got a great cast brad pitt is fantastic in it uh but also it's because it's the tarantino verse which i don't know if it's an official real thing but he also changes a bit of history towards the end of the film Steve, if you remember in the theater something major kind of happens and uh, yeah i know i know the yeah and he rewrites a bit of history regarding uh the german fuhrer um which a lot of people have talked about since 2009 and it's like well it's not meant to be our reality and Tarantino is one of the few directors who can have a bit of fun with this. So, um, but it, it's absolutely great. Plus, also my personal friend Michael Fassbender's in the film. So, uh, yeah, I had to go in there just for that reason. Oh, hug! Yeah, friend. you know, because uh, oh, I wish you could see a hug now because I'm still angry about three hundred. Um, at number two is Kill Bill, and I consider volumes one and two just one big film because that's how it was. Sh- 
wanted to release it. Uh, it's just that the studio at the time said, no, four hours is a bit too much. Let's let's cut it. So uh, they were released, I think, about four or five months apart uh, back in the 2003 and then volume two. I think they're a bit further than that. But uh, yeah. Yeah, and certainly 2003, sort of Q4, and then it was April of 2004 when Volume 2 came out. But watch back to back, absolutely magnificent. I cannot, um, I, I cannot speak good about these, uh, this film more, more so. In fact, I'm bumbling over my words now. But, um, it's a really good, really good way of describing it. Yeah, thank you. It, yeah, well, really it's his love letter to uh, Japanese culture, to anime. There's a fantastic animation, animated sequence in Kill Bill Volume 1. Uh, it's just brilliant. Soundtrack's amazing. Uh, the cast is fantastic. And Uma Thurman is just absolutely brilliant. So um, uh, Kill Bill, uh, a firm favourite of mine. But at number I, I was I always found that Kill Bill Volume 1 was much better than Volume 2. I think that after watching the first one, your expectations shoot up and... A little bit like when you watch The Matrix and then go back and then watch, you know, the second mm. film and you're like, oh, OK. Well, it, that's interesting because Kill Bill Volume 1 is all about the questions and setting up this set, all the characters and the situations. And then Volume 2 is the answers. You get a lot more backstory and you get a lot more um, intrigue and also Bill's character, played by David Carradine, takes centre stage, the actual Bill of the title. Uh, so, yeah, it is it is more of a character and dialogue-driven film, Volume 2. But I think that's where I honestly believe that that's where Tarantino excels. Uh, it's not the carnage and the bloodletting. I wouldn't argue and the, that. And the chopping of limbs, which happens with in Kill Bill. Or, you know, I mean, you look at his more violent films like Reservoir Dogs and Pulp Fiction, uh, Death Proof, for instance. You know, these are films that... You know, on the surface, they seem like they're just full on carnage, but the, there is a lot more going on underneath. But the film that for me is the number, my personal favorite Tarantino film is Jackie Brown. And the reason for that is because it is all character driven. It's all about the Can story. I just confirm? Yeah. Can I just confirm that your favorite film isn't Django and No, no, Django. Why do you call it that, Stu? Or Django Unchained for normal people. <laughs> uh, that was a close uh, one for number three. I was kind of in and R in between Inglorious and uh, Django because they're both fantastic, but it was the Fassbender uh, thing that, that got it. You know that if if anyone listens to this podcast and listens to this episode yeah, first, they're not going to uh, know what's going. They're going to think people are going to think I'm stupid. <laughs> no, 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 but they'll they'll soon realise it's me that was stupid. The Django, what was that? Talk us through talk talk us through Jackie Brown then. Why is well, that number one? Um, it's it's number one because. <sighs> It's just pure class. It's probably, in fact, it is the least violent of all his films. Um, there's, there's, there's a lack of bloodshed in it, which I think is great. It's all about the characters. It's all about Jackie Brown herself and about Max Cherry, the bail bondsman who she befriends. And they concoct this whole big story to try and get her out of trouble, basically. She's caught bringing uh, illegal money into the country. And she then has to play off the bad guys and the police. And she gets Max, uh, enlists his help to to uh, enlist his help to help her uh, and, uh, and and the dialogue is fantastic Samuel L. Jackson I think has never been better than playing Ordell in this film and it's just great and it's two and a half hours it felt like 20 minutes always the mark of a great film to me when it just speeds by like that um, and shall I, tell you, shall I tell you my favourite yeah please it? do I you've never, I've seen, never seen I knew it, you haven't seen Jackie Bell <laughs> you know what maybe that's one you should watch so 
yeah, for me, for me, uh, that represents the best of Tarantino, which is his story uh, structure and his writing. Um, so I throw it out. We didn't get any emails this past week. Maybe people have waited for my top three, although I don't know why you did that. But if you want to, uh, please, by all means, send us your top three. You can agree with mine. You can completely disagree. If any of you like The Hateful Eight, because I'm still not a big fan of that film at all, but I did rewatch it again, all three hours plus of it. Um, you know, send your top three straight to us, and hopefully next week we can do some shout outs and uh, have a bit of a Tarantino fest. So uh, you've seen Kill Bill, you've seen Inglourious, but you haven't seen Jackie Brown. Dare I think you might have a chance to watch that either Saturday or Wednesday next week? Well, you'll have to wait and listen to uh, Claire Bin's Desert Island films because I've already committed to watching Ooh. another film. So uh, you'll have to wait till after that one. But yeah, like Chris says, if you want to drop us an email with your top threes on uh, or what you've been watching or, you know, just anything at all, uh, please do email us. Uh, we, we do actually try and respond to every single email we get. Um, but do email me, stuart.crane at cineworld.co.uk or Tristian, uh, and that's tristian.cooper at cineworld.co.uk. Thanks again to everyone who's written in this week to us. We do really appreciate it. Uh, and as always, we will try and reply to every single email that we do get. We've picked a couple of our favourites again this week. We can't read every single one out. Uh, but I do want to give a quick shout out to Isaac from Sheffield, Anita uh, from Middlesbrough as well. Uh, they are certainly leading the way in terms of cinemas that have been replying to us and sending us emails. Middlesbrough, I would say, are currently number one. Sheffield number two, and then I think Eastbourne uh, are down there at number three. But there's we plenty start of time. A board, dude. Oh, we should get like a board. We we could get like a scoreboard going on this. Yeah. I think you know. I think it might uh, encourage more cinemas uh, and more cinema staff to kind of write into us. But yeah. and at um, the moment, they're my top three favourite cinema cinemas as well, which is great. I mean, I haven't banned that just yet, but it is it's borderline. <laughs> I'm just saying. So uh, the email that I've picked this week is actually from Sean uh, from Eastbourne. Uh, we've heard from Sean before, but it's a nice big email and there's a couple of funny things in it that I just wanted to touch over. So uh, Sean said, hello, guys, thanks for taking the time to uh, keep the podcast a regular weekly thing. It's a joy to listen to, which in fairness, Tris, is probably the first time that anyone's ever said that you and I are a joy to listen to. That so is thank true. You. We appreciate that, Sean. Um, he's been watching plenty of films in the downtime, especially uh, with his hay fever looming around, which I'm sure a lot of people are coping with at the moment. Mm. Uh, recently, he's watched Wayne's World 1 and 2, which, of course, I've never seen. Uh, he's working his way. Oh, let's just let's just move on. Come on. It's going to it's going to get to a point where it's no longer a surprise or a shock for you. Come on. Yeah. OK. Um, he's working his way through the MCU. Um, he really enjoyed John Perry as a guest last week and said he was very interesting and thought he was his favourite guest so far. But uh, you wait till this week's guest. We have Claire Bins from Picture House and it's a great, great episode. So look forward to that one. Um, and he's just saying that it was funny because obviously John mentioned that he had a lot of posters. Um, Sean's saying that he effectively has a very very big dvd slash blu-ray collection he reckons he has over four thousand uh himself what, what do you reckon your number is tris blu-rays what do you reckon you would be at oh crikey well um blu-rays dvds and uh digital downloads I, i'd probably put it in the the same category around four thousand or so um that, which reminds me impressive. i need to i need to actually catalog that stuff <laughs> do you know the funny thing is about a lot of uh blu-rays and dvds i reckon i've probably got about a thousand but mm. i reckon only 
30% of them I've actually opened and the rest are still in their wrappers, which is terrible. So I'm going to move on from that very quickly. Um, one of uh, Sean's guilty pleasures is trying to track down every Danny Dyer film on DVD. Um, <laughs> I, I, I don't know what that says about you, Sean, but um, I can only guess that you're a massive EastEnders fan and uh, uh, you love watching him on, on there, you mug. No, I'm just joking, but um, I'm sure that's uh, something you listen to or watch on a weekly basis, I'm sure. Um, he enjoyed the quiz from last week. He got six out of ten, which means he did beat you, Tris. Yay. Uh, ho- hopefully he's going to join us for the quiz tomorrow night. Oh, See how sweet. he gets on there. Um, and he said, P.S., uh, which this bit disgusts me, uh, I value the now staple and trademark of the podcast that every cinema is the favourite cinema for Tristian. And if you ever visit Eastbourne's Beacon Cinema, I expect to hear this in person from you two now on. Now, I tell you what, we'll make a thing of this. Every cinema or anyone that writes in from a particular cinema and says that they enjoy this and they uh, they want this to continue, I'm going to make sure that once we're back to work, I'm going to send Tristian down to your cinema <laughs> to say it in person to you individually. So Eastbourne, you're officially on the list and it will be the first cinema that Tris goes to visit when we are all back uh, to normal and open. So there you go, Tris. This is what you've created and this is what's going to happen. Well, is, it, gonna... is, is this something I have an option for? Or is this something you're telling me as my boss? No, I think in your job description, it, it covers it. So okay. uh, I think that, I think that it's, it's just tough. <laughs> I have got um, no problem with that. I will happily stand outside Eastbourne Beacon and scream at the top of my lungs, this is my favourite Cineworld cinema. I will happily do that. I want a picture of you and Sean as well outside the cinema. That That's the only proof I need. Done. Um, excellent. Tris, what about yourself? What have you got for us this week? Okay, well, I uh, got an email from a gentleman by the name of John Jackson. He is the GM up at Hull. Hey, my favourite cinema, cinema. They give me number two on the list. Uh, and he says at the, t- at the start of his email, it says, uh, Hull, the home of the best football in Yorkshire. Uh, so I guess Sheffield United must have reallocated during the uh, the quarantine uh, lockdown. I mean, re- relocated. Reallocated? Yeah, reallocated, relocated. The, the, it's, all the, the, it's all the same. It's Yorkshire, and uh, it, this is a joy to listen to, so I've clearly been drinking. Um, but he says that the podcast is great, which is really uh, great to hear. Uh, says it's a credit to both of us to giving up our time. To be honest, John, you know, if we didn't enjoy doing this, uh, we, we wouldn't do it, basically. So um, we do it for the fun of it, we to inform, hopefully what? entertain, and for the sheer joy. Would you agree, Stu? Okay, Stu's not agreeing with that. No, No, I I totally agree. Tristan doesn't threaten me every week uh, and say he's going to beat me up if I don't do it. Yeah, it's like that moment in 300. Um, uh, The 300 Premier, I should say. Uh, Yeah, he's been doing the Joe Wicks um, training workout thing. Have you still been sticking with that, Stu? The Joe Wicks? Not as um, much as I should, but... I've been doing it, but not as much. Okay. Well, well, he says that John says he no longer walks like Clint Eastwood. So I guess uh, it's all about repetition. I mean, I, I tried it once. I spent it's three true. in hospital. You know, exercise, it, it's not for everybody. Okay. Well, not certainly not in your 60s, mate. You've got to calm down on that. Uh, yes, sunny Jim. Yes. Uh, during the lockdown, John has been watching some old movies, which I know is probably something that you can't really get behind at the moment, uh, Stu, because you did watch The Sting last week, which was great. But uh, he's been watching a lot of Alfred Hitchcock movies and old Hammer. Nice horrors now you know oh, th- there's no way he's you... gonna 
he is going to enjoy listening to uh, Claire Bins this week on Desert Island. Oh, Tennis fantastic. Well, I know you're not a fan of horrors, although to be fair, the old Hammer stuff isn't too scary, it's, but it's still great to watch. Uh, he said he also thoroughly enjoyed John Perry's Desert uh, Island movies, and he is going to watch some of the recommendations as well. So it looks like uh, John Perry's gone down an absolute storm. Uh, people are really responding to uh, the stuff that he was talking about last week. Uh, so John would like a big shout out to the whole team. So a big hi to everyone at Cinema on the Hull. Hello, Hull. Hello, Hull. My favourite cinema. Um, um, they're going to be raring to go once they get the nod to return, which, as we hope, will be early July. Uh, but he also wants to do a shout out. This is, I think, quite a sweet notion from uh, John. He wants to shout out to all his former teams as well, to the people he worked with at Cinema Whiteley, my favourite cinema cinema, to Bristol, my favourite cinema cinema, and also to Poole, definitely my favourite cinema cinema. And he also said, especially Claire, hey, hands off my Claire, OK? Uh, but big hi to Claire and to everyone else. Uh, to, in fact, you know what? Big hi to everyone across the circuit there we go this week we're just going to say hello to everybody every single one that, of you does that mean that you're now going to have to go to every single cinema oh, by the end of the year no. and stand outside and i mean this is what you've caused i hope that we get a cinema in guantanamo bay <laughs> and they write in and say hey i hope that the christian finds this his favorite uh cine world cinema because then we're going to send you there you know that's, right? that's probably a territory that mookie hasn't bought a cinema in yet so yeah you know you've given him ideas I think I, I think we actually might have a cinema. Oh, really? <laughs> I think Re, I think Regal might have a cinema. Well, in sure, that case, then I, I guess I'm going stateside. I'm going to have to I'm going to have to sort out my uh, passport now. Uh, anyway, John, thanks so much for your email. Uh, he did say keep up the great work. Well, that's what we try to do. And also, he wants to throw his name into the pot along with Ben. He really wants to hear about this in between us stories. Um, so, Stu, tell us. All right, it's going to be quick because we are running out of time. So. <laughs> Back in the day, 2011, I was working in film buying and I was a big fan of the Inbetweeners. And there was an ad that came up and said, uh, if you want to be an extra in the new, this new film, um, please let us know. Please advertise and we'll let you know. Anyway, me, Ben French, who used to work in the film team and Nathan Giles, we all applied for it. And they came back and they said, yeah, brilliant. Come along, uh, dress uh, as if like you're going to a nightclub, which I didn't know what that meant. But, you know, I just turned up in shorts and a T-shirt. It was all good. So cool. um, and we went along to Elephant and Castle uh, in London, which has the Ministry of Sound uh, nightclub near to it, which is where we were filming. So we turned up, we went to Ministry of Sound and they were saying, all right, it's this scene. It's a big dance scene. You know, you're going to be dancing near a stage, jumping up and down like, you you know, at a rave, having a great time. Not that I've ever been to a rave in my life, but, you know, I can guess. Um, they didn't have any glow sticks, which is disappointing, of course. But um, they just said to us, you know, just look like you're having a great time. And they said to me oh your t-shirt's not bright enough and i was like oh, okay well what do i do and they went oh sorry we've got this yellow t-shirt here which is like it wasn't that bright but in a club scene it really stands out so i'm there you know we don't at this point we still don't know what's going on all we've been told is that jay and neil from the in between this show are going to walk in at some point and see a show that's happening on the stage and we've just got to jump up and down like we're having the best time of our lives you know like it's our birthday like it's christmas you know just happy to be there so we're like all right yeah fair enough fair enough so we're there we're jumping away obviously you know this this loud music that they cut kind of as jay and neil come to the stage now as they come to the stage for the first time this guy walks out and we're thinking okay what's going on but we're still jumping up and down like it's the best time of our lives and what proceeds to happen, uh, I, I've tried to blank it out of my head quite a few times, but what proceeds to happen is that this guy takes off most of his clothes, 
he sits on the stage and he performs an act that as a man he shouldn't be able to perform upon himself and, i re- yeah i remember the scene yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, if you've seen the in between you know exactly what i'm talking <laughs> about and we're just there, jumping up and down and going like this is the greatest thing that's ever happened to us now the director shouts cut and i look over at ben and i'm like what have we got ourselves into <laughs> and he's just like giving me this look back as if to say uh we didn't sign up for this anyway we had to sit through that scene happening 18 times okay (laughs) now every time we have to jump up and down dancing like it's the best time of our lives now all i can say to you is that at the end of that when we finished the day we went up to the stage to put our you know clothes on from the original when we arrived and we were paid i think 50 or 60 pounds so the way that i look at it for being an extra of course i got paid about 50 pounds to sit there and watch a man perform an act that he shouldn't be able to do to himself and jump up and down cheering about it. Now, that film went on to take £47 million at the UK box office. So the way that I spin the story is that I was actually in a blockbuster film that took £47 million at the UK box office. But there is a little side story to say that maybe it wasn't as, you know, glamorous as, as it <laughs> sounds at first. And if you ever watch In Between Us again, because I'm sure a lot of you have seen the In Between Us film, but if you go and watch it again, just fast forward to that scene that I'm talking about in the nightclub, and I promise that there is at least 10 seconds where you can see a guy with stupid spiky hair and a yellow t-shirt jumping up and down like he's won the lottery. Yeah. It's, it's... Enjoy, everyone. And that is my in-between. If, if I remember rightly, it's in like the bottom right-hand corner where you can see yourself, Ben, and Nathan dancing about. And another good point to, uh, to, to look for, to spot, is that Nathan had this huge... Didn't he have like a huge wicker hat on? You don't actually see his face at any point because he got given this hat. And you can see you in your yellow shirt. You can see Ben grinning going, what the heck is going on? You can see it's in his eyes. And then you can see Nathan's... Well, just Nathan's hat bobbing around everywhere. So that's what you need to look out for when you watch the film. Um, I mean, I'm intrigued. I'm going to add that to my list. I'm going to rewatch it again this week. Please do. <laughs> You're immortalized on film, mate, in one of the yeah most interesting scenes. <laughs> hey, all I all I say is that I've starred in one film and it took 47 million pounds. So my average is pretty yeah, good. Absolutely. <laughs> so joining me for Desert Island Films this week, we have a little bit of cinema royalty with us. We have Claire Bins, who has been in the industry for over 42 years. 18 of which were the last 18 with Picture House. She is the current joint MD at Picture House. Claire, welcome to this week's Desert Island Films. I'm very happy to be here and I love being called royalty. That's great. Just to confirm, is is this the first time you've been called cinema royalty? I think it is, Stu. Excellent, excellent. Well, we should write that down. One day, one day, John Perry will be very lucky if he gets to call that, uh, (laughs) you know, uh, but we'll see how it goes. So we'll see. see. (laughs) Thank you for joining us today. Anyway, we really appreciate your time. I know you're a very busy lady um, and uh, I can only imagine what your schedule is looking like at the moment. But how's lockdown been for you, Claire? How have you been finding it? What have you been watching? Uh, Can you tell us a little bit about that? 
Yeah, I mean, lockdown has been, I'm so over it now, Stu, you know, really, it was fine. I think we all are. Yeah, and for, for me, I do this job to see films and I do this job to see films on the big screen. And frankly, I don't think I've ever gone as long without seeing a film on a cinema screen. And this is killing me. Mm. Uh, I've seen lots and lots of films over the last few weeks. I'm watching a film every night, pretty much. Uh, sometimes two films a night. And to see them on a small screen just reminds me how much I'm missing the big screen. So mm. it's been really tough. And of course, I'm missing my children, seeing my children as well, working very hard to make sure that when we open again, the cinemas are going to be safe, exciting places to be. Mm. So I'm just wanting that day to come now. Yeah, I think we all are. So, uh, so during the lockdown, obviously, you're watching quite a lot of films and i'm sure that you've listened to a couple of episodes of this and you'll know full well that tristian who i do the rest of this podcast with he tends to watch one or two films a day so he's watching like between 10 and 14 a week um and he loves film absolutely loves it and he is really really missing it too but what what would you say out during this lockdown what would you say some of your favorite films that you've watched or maybe re-watched uh, have been well, I, I've been, I did a, a pretend can because normally at this time of year I'm in can. And when I'm in can, I see between 30 and 40 films. So what we did at Picture House was we took the last 10 years and I picked a film each day from one of the last 10 years of can. So I've re-watched uh, a lot of the films that I saw there, um, nice. which has been a real old mixture and what I like to do as a film goer is I like to see a mixture of documentaries foreign language American so on on my can list I had everything from the lobster to drive Tony Erdman the yeah. Hanukkah film Amore. Um, I I spent a week watching Italian films uh, so I, I really I love films from every genre, from every country, and I'm trying to keep up that same watching pattern. Yeah, it's 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 an amazing thing as well. I really, really envy you having that palette where you can just sit down and watch anything. I, I genuinely wish my brain worked that way, but <laughs> <clears throat> sadly, it doesn't. So um like I said, thank you so much for coming on today. I mean, one of the, the main reasons is so that we can have you to, to do this new feature that we've got, which is Desert Island Films, which effectively asks if you were put on a desert island, you got a nice Blu-ray player and a TV, of course, but you were only allowed three films to watch for the rest of your life. What would those three films be? and why and if you can start at number three and work your way down to number one the thing with this claire is that genuinely when i asked you this question i didn't think i would really have known of any of the films um and i like that and uh, you definitely <laughs> didn't you definitely didn't disappoint i'll say that so over to you talk us through your top three claire bin's top three desert island films Right. Well, the first thing I'm going to say is this is impossible. <laughs> so what I have done is I, I spent far too long on this, Stu. Uh, I'm glad. I'm glad. Dedic dedication to the cause. Dedication. Yeah. And so what I'm 
giving you is the top three films, my Desert Island films, for this week. So okay. if you were to come to me next week, I would probably give you two of those films would be different. The film at number one will stay at number one, I think, okay. certainly for a long period of time. So what I am giving you, because this is impossible, no yeah. documentaries, no comedies. Um, you know, I, I struggled so hard. Um, but what I've done is I have tried to give a bit of a range. And the film that goes in at number three is a film that was made in 1948, Bicycle Thieves. Uh, it's directed by um, De Sica. And it's a, a film which really is one of, of, let me first of all say, it's one of Scorsese's favourite films. He okay. absolutely adores this film. And it's about a, um, a, a man who gets a job um, and he, given the circumstances, 1948 Italy has just lost the war. Mussolini has just been yeah. pushed out of power. And the poverty there is extreme. And this guy, Antonio, gets a bicycle, he gets a job, he's been out of work, and he gets a job putting up film posters. And putting up the first film poster, he loses his bike. Uh, what, what I would say he's... on that, Claire, is it's very lucky that John Perry didn't do that job because he would have stolen all the film posters <laughs> and it would have never gone further. Uh, yeah, I think you're right. I think you're right. So he loses his bike, uh, which is essential for his job riding around Rome yeah. and he spends the next few days with his young son played uh, by one of the most extraordinary actors um, young child actors I think I've ever seen um, playing a part of a little boy called Bruno and he goes throughout Rome trying to get his bike back now what makes this film so great is that you see life in the city as it was. The relationship between Antonio and Bruno is so touching and so moving. And it's a really magical film. Uh, and if you want to see the best of Italian cinema, it starts here. Okay. So that, that's my number one. Uh, well, my number three, but my number one that I'm talking about. Yeah, I understand. I mean, that's high praise indeed. So, uh, and and like I said, I've absolutely never heard of it. So uh, <laughs> I will, I will try and search it out. But it's a it's a good start. So, what do we have at number two then? So at number two, I've got Apocalypse Now Redux. I think Coppola had a period where he was just knocking films out of the park. Uh, and this, you know, he made this film, he made Godfather uh, 1 and 2. Uh, these, these films are extraordinary. And Apocalypse Now, for me, the opening shot of where you see the helicopter coming in over the frame the jungle laid out then suddenly the napalm being laid all over the jungle and yeah. the extraordinary music of the doors song the end it's one of the most cinematic openings of a film ever um 
it's a film with Martin Sheen, Marlon Brando, a very, very, very young Lawrence Fishburne, who you hardly oh, recognise. Wow. Robert Duval giving one of the best performances I think I've ever seen. And a young Harrison Ford. Oh, I didn't know that. I didn't uh, know that. So it's based on the book by Joseph Conrad, Hearts of Darkness. It's just got sound design by Walter Murch, who's an amazing, amazing sound designer. Uh, and it has that combination that all film fans like. It's music and visuals together. And uh, whether it's Riders of Valkyrie or The Doors soundtrack, it just is breathtaking. What what year was that released, Claire? Well, it was released. the The original film Apocalypse Now was released in nineteen seventy nine, but Redux was two thousand and one. Okay, I mean, like I keep saying, you won't be surprised to hear that I've never seen the film, but obviously. Well, I think Stuart, you should go and immediately see it this week because it is absolutely staggering. I, the thing is, is I know so much about the film. Obviously, the famous line, I love the smell of napalm in the morning. Um, yeah. Obviously, the music I know very well. But you just, I just haven't got around to seeing the film. But I tell you what, Claire, if anyone is going to get me out and make me, or not out, but if anyone is going to make me uh, watch something like this, I think that on your recommendation, I probably will have to do this. So I will well, go out. Well, what a cast, if nothing else, Stuart. You know, it, it's good. Marlon Brando, Lawrence Fishburne, Robert Duvall, Harrison Ford. How can you not it's, watch it's a, it? It's a very impressive cast. I will give you that. And I will watch it, Claire. I will watch it and I will give you my feedback. And uh, Right. Maybe that will get near my top three. Who knows? Who knows? Yeah, indeed. Indeed. But I'm curious to know that. <laughs> so... Oh, not, not many people are too curious to know my top three, I'm afraid. It's, uh, yeah, it's not great. But so uh, your, your two films that are in there so far, two very good films, obviously very well acclaimed films. What would your number one be then? Talk us through that. OK, well, um, first of all, my favourite director of all time is Alfred Hitchcock. Uh, okay. I think he has a body of work that is extraordinary. Uh, that there's so many films in the sixty odd films that he made, including short films. Uh, and if you think he was working in the silent area, he went to era. He went to Germany to work, and then he obviously had a hugely long stint in Hollywood. So I had to have a Hitchcock film in there, and the film that I've chosen. Uh, is Vertigo, which is, for me, just one of the most extraordinary films of all time. It stars James Stewart and Kim Novak. It's set in San Francisco. And I would say the thing that's so fantastic about Hitchcock, and I, I re-watched a documentary about him uh, called Hitchcock Truffaut, just the other day, where you have all the greats like Martin Scorsese, David Fincher, um, Wes Anderson, all talking about Hitchcock and how important a director he is and what an influence he is on their work, mm. is that Hitchcock directs films like nobody else. He, um, It's almost as if you're watching a dream <laughs> and dreams <laughs> are part reality and part fantasy. And 
what he manages to you do is create almost like a voyeuristic experience um mm. and this is what he does with this film it's a and and again I love films with great soundtracks and of course this has a Bernard Herrmann soundtrack uh so everybody knows the soundtrack from Psycho um yeah. I was lucky enough I was in New York last year and I went to see Vertigo with a live orchestral soundtrack with the New York wow. Philharmonic and it was just amazing so I can watch Vertigo I could watch it every six months and find something new in it um, that, that, that's amazing, Claire. And the thing is, is that I would imagine that a lot of the people that are listening to this are quite young. They're, they're certainly younger than you and I. Um, can you give us like a little brief idea of the storyline behind Vertigo and what's, what it's about? And maybe it will inspire some of our audience to go out there and watch it themselves if they haven't seen it already. Right. Well, James Stewart plays a police officer who's had to retire um, because some terrible accident occurred because of his fear of heights. And he then gets hired to prevent a woman from committing suicide, and he has to tail her, and it gets all very complicated. Uh, it's very difficult to describe the plot, quite frankly, but... This is a man I mean, who's terrified it's of it always heights. Is. Yeah, he's terrified of heights, and he also becomes obsessed with a woman, um, and and that obsession leads to all sorts of problems within the film plotting. Um, but I will guarantee you. I mean, Psycho is in a fantastic film. It's very close to to being the film I'd chosen in many ways. But this one is much more dreamlike and much more using cinema as the medium that I love, that cinema is unlike anything else. And this uses all the, the reasons why I like seeing films on the big screen. So it, it's, it's hard to describe but you have got James Stewart and you have got Kim Novak and you have got it set in San Francisco. That's compelling enough, I think. Yeah, I think I'd agree with you. I mean, honestly, Claire, I could genuinely listen to you for, for hours talking about films. I think that you could convince anyone uh, <laughs> to go out there and watch a film. Um, it's in incredibly intriguing, honestly. Um, <laughs> wow, that is a very, very high profile top three indeed and nothing short of what i probably expected it to be and hopefully it can uh, inspire some of our listeners to go out and maybe watch some of them if you haven't already seen them and, and uh, like me hopefully you can start expanding your palette of films out there so well i, I think so i think so i think it's all about daring to watch things that are outside your comfort zone you might be surprised I couldn't have put it better myself and I probably wouldn't have put it better myself. So thank you. Um, Claire, obviously, we're all gearing up towards opening uh, the, the cinemas again, hopefully at the start of July, if we're all able to. What does the next month 
kind of hold in the build-up to that for, for yourself and your teams? What what will you guys be doing for the next month or so? Well, as I said, we're, we're looking to see how we can bring people back safely, how we can bring staff back safely, customers back safely. But I think the main thing for us is making sure that people really feel the magic of cinema again, that yeah. we want to make our buildings as exciting and get people in there and welcome them um, and find ways to really say we are so pleased to have you back and so over the next month we'll be working really hard to do that and of course the other thing is you know Picture House has a distribution arm and we're looking possibly at releases of our films and what we can bring out so that there's lots of exciting films for people to see. I mean, I cannot wait for the Christopher Nolan. Um, I'm super excited about that. I'm super excited about Wes Anderson's film, The French Dispatch. You know, mm-hmm. there's, there's lots of films. Um, and it's just really um, making sure that when those cinema doors open again, that we've got something exciting and a great place to be for our customers. I couldn't agree with you more. And I think do I do genuinely think that, you know, when we do reopen, I think the film slate that that is out there is is really, really incredible. And I think it will bring people back and, and help put their faith back in, in the cinema again. And it will be a great place to be once, yeah, once absolutely. we do reopen. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, Thank you so much for your time today. Genuinely, like I said, I could I could probably talk to you for another couple of hours, but I'm not entirely sure that the uh, the podcast would be able to last that long. Um, and look, please do stay safe. Um, and uh, you know, I know that this has been tough for you to do because for the last 18 minutes you've managed to not swear as well, which I do really appreciate. I know I've done very uh, well, Stuart. <laughs> I know T- Tara from HR will be very pleased. So <laughs> thank you so much for that. Please do stay safe and we will catch you all soon, very soon in the movies. Indeed. Thanks. Stuart. Take care. Bye. Bye. Thanks once again to Claire for giving us her top three desert island films. Uh, I, I completely understand where she's coming from. It's such a difficult question, but uh, really, really good top three. I think, Tris, would, would you say so? Oh, absolutely. Uh, every single film there is an absolute classic. So uh, brilliant top three, uh, very eclectic and absolutely fantastic. So have you seen any of these films, though, Stu? That's the big question. Uh, sorry, mate, you, you cut out the last 10 seconds. What did you say? Oh, what you say? Oh, we need to re-record this a little bit, do we? No, nah, just joking. I've not seen any of them, mate. <laughs> yeah, well, it doesn't, it doesn't surprise me. It doesn't surprise me. And I knew that Claire would choose some really interesting choices there. I've known Claire for quite some time, uh, you know, because working in the industry as long as we, we have been. You know, in fact, the first time I met her was when I was standing in line for the premiere Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. So, you know, it's mm. been quite some time. You are both in your 60s as well. Apparently, according to you, yes. But I also know her son, Elliot, fairly well. And he's been working in distribution and exhibition for for donkey's years, as you know quite well. Uh, And in fact, he currently, last time I saw him was back in February when I saw Birds of Prey at uh, Leicester Square in IMAX. And he was working there. He was working the tills and he was uh, a member of the team. So a big hi to everyone at Leicester Square and also to Elliot. If you're listening to this, mate, we need to go for that drink catch up once lockdown is unlocked. (laughs) You do indeed. Um, So, Tris. 
Film news. Give us an update. What's happened over the past week that people might be interested in? Okay, well, just a quick little blast. There's been some uh, nice little announcements about uh, film directors and upcoming projects. First of all, horror icon Jamie Lee Curtis is going to be getting behind the camera for Blumhouse um the Blumhouse Company, and she's going to direct a film called Mother Nature, which is uh, described as a climate change themed tale of terror. Uh, so that's going to be, I believe, her first, uh, it will be her directorial debut. And the fact that she's a horror icon, she's going to be helming a horror film, I think it's going to be very fascinating and exciting to those fans. Uh, Scott Derrickson, who's responsible for films like Doctor Strange, the Sinister films, uh, and is also the executive producer of the TV series Snowpiercer, which everyone's getting also excited about at the moment. He has now been announced as director of the sequel for Labyrinth, uh, an mm. absolute classic 80s uh, film. Is that is that one you've actually seen? I actually have seen that, yes. yes I uh-huh. thought so. Uh, well, it was part of my childhood, genuinely, all age things aside. Labyrinth was part of my childhood, and Jennifer Connolly uh, made such a big impact on that film for many kids in my generation. And I don't know if she'll be back. Don't, there's no details on story yet. It's been a long gestating project, um, but now it's got a director. It's going to be moving forward. And Scott Derrickson, pretty darn good choice. Uh, and the other bit of tidbit information that uh, has been now confirmed, James Mangold, uh, director of Logan, Le Mans 66, Copland, Walk the Line. He has now definitely been signed on to direct the next Indiana Jones film. Hasn't got a title yet. It's been pushed back a year to 2022, but uh, it seems that uh, Harrison Ford's last foray as Indy is going to be directed by, yeah, none other than James Mangold, which I think is a good nice. choice because yeah, good choice. Yeah, yeah, yeah Logan yeah. is just such an amazing film. Um, Henry Cavell, absolutely brilliant guy. We like him. He's from Jersey. He's a good standing up, upstanding British guy playing an alien with an American accent for the last couple of years. Now, Warner Brothers have confirmed that they are in negotiations to keep him on as Superman. You may remember a couple of years ago, Ben Affleck stepped down as Batman because of his experiences in the DCEU, and we're getting a new Batman next year. But uh, Henry, bless him, he's kind of ummed and ahed, and there's been a lot of speculation about whether he'll return to the role. It it appears that he will. It won't be in a standalone Superman film, so don't expect Man of Steel 2. However, there are heavy rumours that Aquaman 2, Shazam 2, and Black Adam could all feature him returning in the cape. And uh, final, final bit of news. Um, Obviously, everything's still in lockdown. A lot of film production is still closed. But one film that has recommenced is Avatar 2. Now, they're shooting in New Zealand at the moment, one of the countries that have had very good lockdown quarantine rules. And the casting crew, although they are currently going through a two-week quarantine period, they have started work on getting the production back up and running. Uh, December 17, 2021 is still the release date on that film. And there is a little short story synopsis, which has now dropped online. Uh, it's going to surround the Sully family. Uh, Sam Worthington's back. Zoe Solan. Saldano's back again uh, playing Jake and Natiri. Apparently they've got a family in this film and they're forced to leave their home and to go explore different regions of Pandora including uh, one of the moons which is a water planet and there's been a lot of stuff in the news over the last couple of years about the fact they've been shooting with water again and it's going to be something pretty spectacular. James Cameron says that this is going to just knock the shoes off what Avatar 1 did and Avatar 2 is going to be absolutely mind-blowing. So good to hear that that is still on track for next Christmas and they're back up and uh, running with it again excellent stuff thank you for the update as always Tris um, that's it for this week guys thank you so much for listening as always um, please do stay safe um, continue to watch movies uh, and look fingers crossed we'll see as many of you as possible on the quiz I'll just reiterate it one more time Friday the 29th of May at 7pm if you need the details please do drop Tristian or I an email and we will send them to you other than that Stay safe, keep watching movies, 
And from myself, I will see you all soon. Yeah. Take care, everybody. And hopefully catch you on podcast seven.